we still need to know what is right and wrong. In our society, we need to know what is true and what is not. And so I want to start by reading this uh, article from 2015. It's a study that was done in 2014, but this is what it says. Roughly 7 in 10 Americans say they believe in heaven. Heaven's defined as a place where people who have led good lives, they're eternally rewarded. According to the Pew Research Center 2014 Religion Landscape Study. But at the same time, 58% of U.S. adults also believe in hell, a place where people who have led bad lives and die without being sorry are eternally punished. So this shows that in America, whether you're Christian or atheist or not, a majority of us believe in heaven, and they believe heaven is for good people. If you led a good life, you go to heaven. 50% believe in hell. If you've been, lived a bad life, you go to hell. Interesting enough, in this research, atheists and agnostics, 37% of them said they believe in a heaven, which is kind of interesting. And 27% of atheists and agnostics still believe in hell. So the question I have is this. Where do these ideas come from? How do they determine, I think there's a heaven, and good people go there. Which, by the way, on the side, that frightens me if that is true. If good people go to heaven, that frightens me. And it should frighten you. Because how do you know you're good enough? So that's a weird... But anyway, how do these things come? So an LA Times article came up with this survey. And they found out how Americans come up with their view. And it's not church. Listen to this. Millions of Americans mix secular and various religious views to create their personal belief system. So it's like they get a buffet and they pick and choose what they want, said David Kinneman, vice president of Barnard Research Group. Americans don't mind embracing contradictions, he said. It's hyper-individualism. So whatever you want to make of it, it's, your, it's true. They're cutting and pasting religious views from a variety of different sources television, movies, conversations with friends. So what they're doing in America today is, instead of saying this is the one view, they're picking and choosing what they like. Uh, you could do that in buffet, but would that really work in real life? And so David Kinnaman continues, rather than simply embrace one particular viewpoint and then trying to follow all the specific precepts or teachings of that particular viewpoint, what Americans are saying is, Listen, I can probably put together a philosophy of life for myself that is just as accurate, just as helpful as any particular faith might provide. Did you catch that? This is very telling. In other words, people are saying, I could come up with a better religious system than Christianity, Muslim, Judaism. I'll make up my own that fits me and I'll be happy with it. It'll be my truth. We call that postmodernism. And so Jesus touches upon this idea of ignorance as well as arrogance. There's an ignorance here of, I don't care what the truth is, I'll make up my own. And there's an arrogance here. I made it up. I must be right. And so Jesus actually talks about that in Matthew 7. What about people that do live in ignorance and arrogance and they come before him? And so Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only those who does the will of the Father, my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now just to note a few things here. Number one, just a few observations. Here's the first one. They all call Jesus Lord. They, call, they got the right title for Jesus. Notice, they say, Lord, you're God, you're Jesus, you're Lord, you're Master. So they got the title right. Second, they are clearly religious. They are churchy folks, or I don't go to church, but I'm spiritual. They're very spiritual people. They know the mantra, they know the nuance, and they talk the talk. I'm a choir member, I'm a deacon, I'm an elder, I'm a Presbyterian. So they know they're churchy. Three, this is fascinating. They presume they're going to enter into heaven. They're like, I'm here, let's go. Let the party begin. They have this assumption, I'm locked and loaded. I'm gonna, I got my ticket, I'm going to go to heaven. Fourth, their confidence is rooted in what? In their activity. I prophesied, I did miracles, therefore I must be good. I go to church, I pay offering. I go to church once a year at least. That counts for something. I help my neighbors. I, I give food to the poor sometimes. I'm a pretty good person. I must go to, how would God not want me? Fifth, they are sent away from the kingdom of heaven as, what's the word? E evildoers. Jesus calls them evildoers. Now, I didn't, real, I, I read this for, I read this literally a hundred times in my life. The word evildoers, do you know what evildoers in Greek actually is? It's not Hitler, it's not like bad people, it's not the murderer, serial killer. The word evildoers in Greek, it's the one who is ignorant. Be away from me, you ignorant one who has forgotten and neglects the law. Jesus is not sending them away because they're bad. Jesus is sending away using a Greek word that says you are ignorant of what's true. And so they are sent away, not rejected alone, but they're sent away by Jesus. Jesus, who we all say, I wish there was more Jesus. The very Jesus we long for is the one who sent them away. And lastly, the one that rejected them um, is the one who is the king and the judge. So they are rejected, and Jesus is the one that rejected them. Now that's a, this is a story made up by Jesus, not by priests, prophets, pastors, teachers, fundamentalists. This is Jesus saying this story. So the backdrop of this is that Jesus is saying no one could enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who, who does the will of my Father. So I want to revisit this. Is it okay to be ignorant? Is it okay to make up our own theology and say, well, my God would send all people to heaven. Well, my God would let all dogs into heaven because dogs are special. My God would let all, you know, America certainly is a good, we're not perfect, but we're a good nation. We all go to heaven. And what Matthew 7 is saying is, where do you come up with your truth? Truth is important. So I have this little, little illustration. Costco in Cyprus, their gas station is closed for a month. Like, I am so spoiled because the gas station closed in Costco is creating a disturbance in the force. Like, my life, 
My wife and I, we used to go there and get gas, and now do I get it in La Habra? And we started going to Arco, and it's just messing us up. And I'm like, man, I am so spoiled. But pretend we're in Idaho. We all live in Idaho. The next gas station is 20 miles away. I, I'm coming from the gas station, and you say, hi, Pastor Jason. How are you? And I say, I'm doing fine. Where are you going? You say, I'm going to go get gas at Joe's gas station 20 miles away. Now, I just came from there. Joe ran out of gas. And I know that because I went there and I got the last gas. And Joe's like, oh, we're tapped out. So I'm with you and you're like, I'm going to drive 20 miles. I'll see you at church. What if I said to you, yeah, have a good time getting gas. Say hi to Joe for me. What would you think of me? Like, you know that I know that it's closed, but instead of saying, hey, you know it's closed, go 10 miles the other way and get a different gas, but I say, say hi to Joe for me. I think when you find out, you might be a little upset. Someday after the sermon, you'll be like, Joe's was closed. What's up with that? I drove 40 miles, a waste of gas. Ignorance hurts. Ignorance is not just what you prefer, but there is truth. And we have to be sure that the information we have is true. Like, so if you said in response to me saying, Joe ran out of gas, and you say, well, I don't believe you. I believe Joe has gas. That's your problem. <laughs> you drive 20 miles, you'll find out the truth. But what you do with that information is important. So I want to do a little thing. This is not a problem in the 21st century. This is actually a problem from the 17th century. So I'm going to put on a, you, you paid good money to come to church today for whatever ticket price you paid. Because we're going to put on a show, Pastor Jesse and I. And this is from a book that was written in 1670s called The Pilgrim's Progress. Raise your hand if you heard of The Pilgrim's Progress. It was the second most popular book at that time, next to the Bible. It was written by a man named John Bunyan, and it's an allegory, which is like Aesop's fables. And so I wanted to read to you uh, just a few things, and, and I want to act out a few scenes in there with a guy named Ignorance. And so Jesse is not ignorant, but he's going to play Ignorance. And so we're going to just read to you a few clips from this book. I'll start here. So Christian, there's a main protagonist named Christian, and he's on his way to Celestial City, which is representative of heaven. And he encountered Jesus, so he got this certificate, and he's on his way, leading his life. As he's going there, a young man named Ignorance runs up to him, and Christian asks him, where are you coming from, and where are you going? Sir, I was born in the country that lies there. And he pointed left toward this country of conceit. And I'm going to the celestial city. But how do you think you will be admitted at the gate? Don't you think that you may run into some difficulty there? Not really. I'll get in the same way other good people do. But what have you to show at the gate? What qualification can you show so the gate should be open to you? I know my Lord's will, and I have lived a good life, and I have repaid every man to whom I owe a debt. I pray, fast, pay tithes, and give alms, and have left the land of my birth for the place to which I am going. 
but you did not enter in at the wicket gate. Wicket is W-I-C-K-E-T. It's symbolic of Jesus Christ, which is the head of this straight way. Instead, you came here by means of that crooked lane. I'm afraid that whatever you may think of yourself, that when the day of reckoning comes, you will be charged as a thief and a robber instead of being admitted into the celestial city. Gentlemen, you are utter strangers to me. I, do not know, I don't know you, so be content to follow your religion, and I'll follow mine. I hope all will be well, and as for the gate that you talk about, all the world knows that it is a great distance away from our country. I cannot imagine that any man in all our regions knows the way to it. Plus, there isn't really any need for them to do so since we have, as you have seen, a fine, pleasant green lane that comes down from our country into the way right here. So in other words, uh, all roads will lead to the celestial gate. I mean, you guys could have your own preferences, but we'll, I'll hold to mine. And so he goes on, and then they split up, and then they continue on a few, there's a few episodes, it's pretty funny, actually. Um, and then they meet up again, and so this is the conversation at that point. My friend, how are you doing? How is your relationship between God and your soul? I hope that is well for now. My mind is always full of good ideas and beliefs to comfort me as I walk. What kind of good ideas and beliefs? Please tell us more. Why, I think about God in heaven. So do the devils and souls damned to hell. But I think of them and I desire them. So do many who are never likely to reside there. The soul of the sluggard desires and hath nothing. But I think about them and leave all that I have for them in order to obtain them. I doubt that very much. To leave all is much harder to do than many understand. Tell me why or by what evidence you have been so persuaded as to leave all for God and heaven. My heart tells me so. Oh, your heart. The wise man says he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. That saying speaks of an evil heart, but mine is not evil. It is good. But how can you prove that your heart is good? It comforts and assures me concerning my hope of reaching heaven. That may well be, but the heart can be deceitful. For a man's heart may minister comfort with regard to his hope of something, even though he has no grounds to expect a fulfilling of that hope. But my heart and life are in agreement with one another, and therefore my hope is well-grounded. Who told you that your heart and life are in harmony? My heart tells me so. So do you see ignorance? He's saying, I have this belief and theology that I have a good heart. And he's asked, how do you know your heart is good? And did you hear his answer? My heart tells me so. <laughs> so in this world, how do you know you're a good person? Because I know deep inside, I'm a good person. And so this is, this is the allegory that John Mudd is writing, that are you truly understanding? So. True faith accepts this righteousness of Christ as if it were a skirt by which the soul can be completely covered. In this way, the soul is presented as a spotless before God. It is accepted by God, and he acquits such a covered person from condemnation. What are you saying? Would you, rather, would you have us trust in what Christ in his own person has done without us? This conceit would encourage the loosening of the reins of our lust and allow us to live as we are inclined. For what does it matter how we live when we, are, we may be justified by Christ's personal righteousness when all we have is to do is simply believe it? You are fittingly named ignorance. 
for you are also ignorant as a person. Even your answer demonstrates this to be true. You are ignorant of what justifying righteousness is and equally ignorant about how your soul may be saved from the severe wrath of God through the faith in it. Yes, you are also ignorant of the true effect of saving faith in this righteousness for Christ, which includes the conquest and winning over the heart to God in Christ to love his name, his word, ways, and people, and not as you ignorantly imagine. And so, ignorant en ends with this. That is your faith, but it is certainly not mine. However, I have no doubt that my faith is as good as yours, though in no way I do I have as many fan fanciful notions in my head as you do. All right, thank you, Jesse. Let's give Jesse a hand. The reason why I'm sharing this text is because in 21st century, I have had this conversation in today's culture with young adults, elderly people, old, middle-aged, all the same. You believe what you want to believe, that's fancy and that's nice, but I'll believe what I believe. And the issue is this, someone is wrong. We're not all right. In Christianity, we don't say we're better, but we're saying there is something that has revealed to us truth to say there is a way, there is sin. We are, not we are not good as we think we are, and we need a Savior. And that evidence was confirmed this past Easter by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the resurrection didn't happen, we are just as guessers, big guessers, as anyone else. But if Jesus did die and rise again, there is a true reality that you can't make up your own, but that brings us to Jesus and says, what is it about me that I need to know? What is it about you that I need to know? And so Jesus goes on, and he says this verse in that same text that we read today. No one could enter the kingdom of heaven, but, whew, can you say, whew, can you say, whew? Because if he ended with a period and said, no one could enter the kingdom of heaven, then we're doomed. But he has a beautiful B-U-T in there, but, but. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven can enter the kingdom of heaven. So, friends, the question you and I should be asking is, what is, what does it mean to follow the will of the Father? And thank God, Jesus answers it. John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says this, For my Father's will, you ready? Is that you go to church and be a good boy, and citizen of the United States of America. No. For my Father's will is that you just be good in your own heart, and that's what that matters. No. The Father's will, because he knows us. In John 6, 40 says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. What is the Father's will for you and me? It is to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the source of my hope and righteousness. Let me put it this way. If you read the rest of Pilgrim's Progress, ignorance was so ignorant because he says, oh, I believe in Jesus. And it turned out he believes in Jesus to validate his good works. I pay offering, 
I'm good. So Jesus is going to take my offering and gifts. And Christian says, you're so ignorant. You cannot do anything good to enter the kingdom of heaven. The only thing you could do is receive this righteousness from Jesus Christ as a skirt to wrap you. And this is called grace. And so what Jesus is saying here is this. I don't need your good deeds. The will of the Father is you believe in the gospel, that you are worse sinners than you think you are, that there is no one with a good heart. But here's the good news. Jesus, grace and forgiveness is greater than you recognize. Let Jesus be your anchor. So let me make it even simpler. So how do I know that Jesus is my righteousness and I believe the gospel? I got three questions for you. And this is a sermon to leave you unsettled. Here's the first question. When you look to heaven and God and you say, God, you accept me right where I am. That confidence, I got three questions for you. Is it based on your good deeds of all that you've done through your whole life? Is that the confidence that you stand in? I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty darn good compared to Jason Coe over there. He's a jerk. I'm pretty good. I have good deeds. Is it based on your deeds or is it based on Jesus Christ's deeds on the cross? Your confidence as you stand before God and for your salvation, is it based on your obedience or Jesus' obedience? For example, man, I go to church every Sunday. They don't. God, you know me. I'm here worshiping you. I'm pretty good. Is it based on your obedience? Is that the basis of your confidence? Or was it based on Jesus' obedience to take a cross to the cross of Golgotha, to die? And lastly, is your confidence to stand before God and say, Lord, I'm ready to go, enter into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, Lord, is it based on your righteousness? Or is it based on Christ's righteousness that he gives to you? See, your righteousness looks like this. You come to Jesus, and you got your iPhone or paper ready, and you're like, let me share with you my resume, Jesus, of why you need me in the heaven. I saved, I worked at a school, I tutored homeless kids, I went to the orphanage. Oh, that one time, I helped a lady across the street fix her water heater. I went to church, and I taught Sunday school. You want me to keep going on, Jesus? I got tons. Gospel is this. All my good deeds, Jesus, is filthy rags. I got nothing to offer you. In fact, I don't even deserve your grace and mercy in life. I deserve your condemnation. But the reason why I stand here this day humbly is because what wraps me around with righteousness is what happened on that cross when you sent your son, Jesus, and he took my punishment and he wraps me in righteousness. He is all that I have before you. And Jesus Christ and God says, come on in, my son, my daughter. This is what Matthew 7 people who were saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy your name? They lost, they were ignorant of. In America, at least in our church, I don't know when we're gonna live or die, I could die tomorrow, 
And I was thinking, like, if there's any message you need to know is before you really go to sleep tonight, examine the anchor and the foundation of your confidence to enter the kingdom of heaven. Is it based on your obedience, righteousness, works? Or is it Jesus Christ's righteousness and works? He is our righteousness. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, this gospel, it completely breaks every pride and humbles us. It silences the boast of sin and death as we sang. It silenced the boasts of those who think that they're worthy of you because of what they offer you. And when we recognize Jesus, your teachings, we have nothing to offer you except our sins. In fact, the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart, it says in your word, is our sins. And you exchange it with your righteousness. So Lord, as a church in the 21st century, that's no different from 17th century when John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Help us to know your truth. Help us to humble ourselves. Help us know that our glory and salvation is not rooted because we are good people but that we are saved by a good and precious God through his son Jesus Christ and so as we enter in may we exalt and lift up your name Jesus not only in church in a service but in our lives in our family may your name be lifted up in our jobs in our time in the way we spend our resources in the way we look at life may you be the king and may we want to live good and righteous, obedience lives because we've been delivered from sin. So be honored and glorified. May your truth sink in and help us look at the resurrection with awe and beauty. And may you be blessed as we are blessed by you. We pray these things as we pray with one voice the prayer that your son taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.